0: to another episode of the Superhero Homies Podcast. And once again, it's just gonna be your homie Q here. So let my Sultry voice entertain y'all for the next however long this episode goes. Which by the way, this episode won't be too long. If you clicked on this episode then you know that this is essentially a preview episode for the Justice League Snyder Cut, which will be out in just a few short days, just a couple of days actually this is a movie that I've really been looking forward to since it was originally announced a movie that I hoped would see the light of day. And there was a long period of time where I just kind of gave up hope thinking that we'd never get this movie. And now here we are essentially two days removed from being able to see it and talk about it. But before we get there, guys, I just wanted to kind of do a a little hype promotion on this uh, product or this uh, movie coming up. So with, with everything that's been going on lately with the podcast, we've been churning out a, a good bit of content lately. Hopefully you guys have been enjoying all of this. Uh, definitely let us know if you guys have or haven't, so we know how to course correct or continue to give you guys stuff that you like to hear us talk about. But uh, because of all the content we've been giving out and all the content that we have coming out just later on this week, such as the Snyder Cut review and also the Falcon and Winter Soldier episode one review, both of those will be out uh, this weekend, this coming weekend, of course. But with all that coming out, I didn't want to make this episode too long. Uh, As much as I enjoy taking up all of your guys' time whenever you turn your phone on or put your headphones in, uh, I don't want us to uh, become something that's stagnant to you. (laughs) But with that being said, guys, this will be a a shorty in a sense. Uh, What I wanted to do with this episode, guys, was originally this is going to be a a breakdown of the new gods. Uh, this is an episode that I really wanted to do because the new gods I thought were fascinating. Jack Kirby had this amazing idea in mind and he really wanted to, to get this off. And it's so interesting to think that he was technically really close to doing this story or at least a story very similar to this for Marvel before he left to go to DC. But because, uh, a lot of bigwigs at Marvel, or who were above Marvel at the time, didn't really view Jack's contribution to Marvel in the same way that they view Stan Lee's, Jack felt some type of weight, and rightfully so. I mean, it's really no secret that Jack the King Kirby put in literally just as much effort as uh, Stan Lee, even though we only credit Jack Kirby's contributions to Marvel Comics on paper as that of a artist, he actually was also an editor and a writer. I mean, he was very involved with, with everything that he worked on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, we could go off on a tangent talking about all the people who didn't receive the credit that they deserved. And, and honestly, like, yes, Stan Lee liked being in the in the limelight, but it was also just the fact that Stan Lee was viewed as the figurehead for Marvel. And so it was just easier to associate everything that came from Marvel from Stan. But uh, enough about that. What I'm getting at here is that, Jack Kirby did feel slighted and because of that, he took his ideas and he went over to DC and this was a very big thing. I think this was back in like 1977, but this was a very big deal guys because I mean, Jack was highly known and highly regarded as such an influential figure in the comic book community that this made waves. If there was an internet back then, this would have been big ass news. So with this episode guys in particular uh, what I want to do really is uh, instead of talking about the new guys per se I'm gonna just narrow this down and focus some more and really just talk about dark side uh, if you guys have noticed the name of this episode is dark side is that isn't a it isn't a typo it isn't an unfinished sentence uh, this is a statement uh, for those of you who uh, are, are more familiar with DC comics and with uh, kind of dark sides uh, ploy or with his uh, with his happenings in the comics then you know that this is a very reoccurring statement that is made throughout DC Comics whenever referencing the big bad guy himself Dark Side is and so what this episode is going to be about guys is really just talking about what we can expect from Dark Side but also just some kind of cool tidbits about the character if you may not be that familiar with him Because there is definitely more to Darkseid than what you originally see. There's more to him than meets the eye. And no, he's not a Transformer. But maybe he could be if you wanted to. (laughs) Uh, So the reason why uh, I decided to change the format of this episode from talking about the new gods as an entirety to just Darkseid. is because, well, I also wanted this episode to focus more as a preview for the Snyder Cut to an extent. Uh, because we all kind of know what the movie is, is going to be about to some extent. We got some bastardized version of this movie a few years ago. So we have an, a loose idea what it's going to be about. But maybe there's a few things that we can kind of delve into a little bit more. But also because at some undisclosed time in the future, we know that Avery DuVernay will be directing a new God's movie for Warner Brothers. So we'll actually have the opportunity to delve more into... Uh, the New Gods when that movie approaches, and so I didn't want to double dip. So I figured that when that time's com- when that when the time comes that the New Gods movie is approaching, we'll do a New Gods episode proper. But until then, I figure why not keep this more focused on the main event. I mean, with, with no disrespect to all the other New Gods. I mean, I think they're fucking awesome, but there's one who stands above the rest, and for good reason. And that is Prince Uxus, aka dark side so that being said guys we can go ahead and get into this one now I'm going to start off talking about uh, some things that may be a little bit triggering for some people I mean triggering in the nerds and it's not anything serious but what I'm referring to guys is I'm going to talk a little bit about Batman versus Superman uh, the movie of course and I know that in a lot of people's minds that movie is uh, not to be spoken of well to a lot of people it's scarred off a movie Hey, I'm going to go ahead and say this for uh, the entirety of the uh, superhero homies nation to hear, and that is, I think that actually the director's cut for this movie is pretty fucking solid. I said it. It, it isn't perfect. It is still disjointed, and I still don't like Lex Luthor. Uh, I don't like the design for Doomsday, and I don't like the Doomsdays in the movie, and no, I don't like that they tried to shoehorn the death of Superman into the second movie and the DCEU. Again, there is a lot wrong with BVS, but there's also a lot of beauty behind it. And really what I like about Zack Snyder's uh, vision or what I like about his his attempt, at least uh, at BVS and also with Man of Steel, but, but more so with BVS is he, uh, he he's definitely drawing from Grant Morrison's uh, run on the Justice League particularly Final Crisis. Now, I know that on surface level, if you look at BVS, you, you, I mean, you'd be forgiven for thinking that he's clearly drawing from Frank Miller's work with The Dark Knight Returns just because of the aesthetic nature of it, of having Batman versus Superman. But I think that if you just delve a, a little bit deeper, you'll see that he's actually drawing a lot of influence from Grant Morrison's Final Crisis. And what I mean by that is, Grant Morrison is is definitely one of my favorite writers. He can be extremely frustrating to read at times. (laughs) For those of you who are familiar with Grant Morrison's work, he is uh, an extremely different writer. He doesn't have the kind of contemporary style that uh, maybe other writers may tend to follow to some degree. Grant Morrison has never minded going his own path and really following his own trend. Uh, And then Final Crisis is no different. Final Crisis is probably... Uh, his most frustrating work I've ever read. Final Crisis is his most convoluted work that I've ever read. But also, I gotta be honest, guys, upon second reading, Final Crisis is very rewarding. Uh, and again, <laughs> similar to BBS, Final Crisis isn't perfect, but there are a lot of really interesting similarities. And really what I'm getting at here, guys, is that in BBS there's a lot of kind of pseudo-philosophical symbolism in the movie and also there's a lot of uh, mythology beats in the movie as well there's there's a lot of Christian uh, Christian philosophy or, or, or a Judeo-Christianity philosophy that's embedded in BVS and for those of you who have read Final Crisis you know that there's a lot of that layered in Final Crisis as well and another thing about BVS that I think as Far as at least setting up for things to come in the DCEU at that time, is BVS actually did a pretty good job of laying the groundwork for the coming of Darkseid. And now, the reason I'm talking about this now is because in Final Crisis, guys, uh, the first time I read Final Crisis, I read what uh, DC calls their essentials, and, and what what a DC Comics essentials is, uh, is like they kind of condense something that can be uh vast or has a a ton of content and they're able to cut it down and give you kind of like the bare bones necessity what you need to read to understand the story uh and so i picked up dc's uh yeah, uh, th- that it, that Essentials editions of Final Crisis, and that was the first time I read Final Crisis. And boy, I did not have that good of a time with it, if I'm being honest, because I, I read the story like I would a normal superhero story, which, hell, I think we all would, right? <laughs> but it wasn't until I picked up the Final Crisis Omni, about a year ago, actually, that I uh, I started to reread it and I took my time with it because I knew that I get frustrated with it again. Uh, but reading it in Omni format, you know obviously it gave me a lot more content, but it also built up a lot more of the anticipation. Uh, Now, you see, if you read Final Crisis in omnibus format, you're going to get so many different overlapping stories from so many different perspectives of all these different characters. But the one thing that kind of remains constant throughout this entirety of that 1500 plus page book is the fact that Dark Side is. I'm going to talk a little bit more about what that means as this episode rolls on. But for now, guys, just remember that phraseology Dark Side is now in Final Crisis the thing that we have to remember and the thing that I, I think is it's really going to tie my whole comparison or the similarities to BBS Together is the fact that there is just this overwhelming looming feeling of dread throughout the book everybody's talking about the coming of Dark Side, and at this point in DC Comics it's important to remember that it seemed as if the gods had been killed, that they've killed each other in this great war uh, because previously, going to give you guys just like the the elevator pitch uh, and try to keep this shit as simple as possible because trust me DC has some very confusing shit if you go too deep down the rabbit hole but prior to the events of Final Crisis uh, Darkseid was able to finally gather the pieces of the anti lock Equation he was finally able to gather it and with it, he had that newfound power, and he went to uh, New Genesis, which is the opposing planet. Uh, New Genesis is more like heaven, and Apocalypse, where Dark Side rules over and resides, is more like hell. Uh, he he took his his war from Planet Apocalypse, and he he raged war on New Genesis. This war that had been ongoing for years, and in doing so. Uh, it resulted in a lot of death and bloodshed and violence, and it resulted in, yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of the deaths of, of the new gods. Now, before I delve deeper into the story of Final Crisis and how I think it could potentially play a role in what we could see in the Schneider Cut and how any of this relates to BVS, I suppose, let me just say this. When Jack Kirby created the new gods back in the 70s, one of his big objectives here was to create a form of mythology. And I really like that. Uh, I've always kind of enjoyed that concept here. Now, you can say what you want to about Jax, about his dialogue, that his dialogue may come off a little stilted at times, but his ideas, his ability to kind of build bridges was always bigger than most other writers at that time. At least it always seemed that way to me. But with the New Gods, what he had here was that they existed outside of the DC multiverse and so like they they essentially didn't really have that many happenings with other characters from the DC uh, universe. Now it wasn't until a few of the other characters gained more popularity that uh, they would start to interface more with our, 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 our heroes that we know and love today but now all of this I thought was very interesting the fact that they technically exist outside of the, the DC multiverse but yet they can kind of go to the DC universe whenever they feel like, and they can go to, you know, any of the earths, uh, whenever they choose to. But, uh, I think that the thing that's important to remember here is that these gods were created as more of a form of a, a new mythology, uh, a lot unbreakable. Uh, don't, I, I'm, I'm going to try my, my best not to go down an unbreakable rabbit hole. For those of you who haven't seen the movie unbreakable fucking phenomenal movie, guys, uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie, Probably my favorite M. Night Shyamalan movie uh, is it's phenomenal take on superheroes and mythology and what that shit could or, or would theoretically potentially mean. Uh, a lot of it also ties into a lot of Grant Morrison's thinking uh, for uh, superheroes and as a whole. But anyways, um, I think that the thing that's important to remember here is that if we go back to BVS really quick. I'm going to wrap up this, uh, this rant here and then give you guys a more focused take on Darkseid and its origin and new genesis and what all this means for the Snyder cut. But I think what's important to remember here, guys, is as far as Darkseid goes, is that at the end of BVS, we get the scene where Batman goes and he sees Lex in the jail cell. And, and Lex is seemingly out of his mind, even more so than what he usually is. Alex uh, no, is uh, in this movie, not my favorite. Nothing against Jesse Eisenberg; I really like the guy as an actor, but complete and total miscast, complete and total lack of focus for his writing as well. It just it just didn't add up. Uh, definitely one thing that I, I think is irredeemable about BVS. But anyway, we see Lex Luthor, and he is he, he's clocked out, man. I mean, the guy's you know he's he's gone, but he's just rambling the ramblings of like the ramblings of a man who was seen too much and he says something along the lines of like he's coming and like there's nothing you can do and then like he's yeah, he, he's he's coming essentially and he, he kind of does like this tiktok thing uh not like the the tiktok videos but you know like almost like a watchman tiktok but that is kind of where things. Are left off at as far as BVS goes, and now, obviously, like at the time seeing that in theaters, my thoughts and probably most of you guys' thoughts are, "Oh shit, that's got to be Dark Side." And then, of course, we're given the the 2017 Justice League cut, and is really just Steppenwolf, who who is a general of Dark Sides. But then there's really nothing else that we get as far as Dark Side goes. I mean, I think we we might see the Omega symbol once in the movie. I, I don't remember, but anyways, uh, that is kind of one of the the, the bigger things that ties uh, BVS obviously to uh, to Dark Side and and to some facets of Final Crisis because if you guys. Uh, are willing to watch BVS and again I do recommend that I read this version it is about 3 hours and 40 minutes (laughs) but if you guys have the time and and the will to watch uh, that I read this cut of BVS you'll see just how much Judeo-Christian philosophy is embedded in the DNA of that movie Uh, and again I can't express this enough how similar that is to Grant Morrison's own kind of interpretation of uh, superheroes and what they represent. It's not so much a deconstruction of superheroes, but it's more of a deeper look at them. So it's not so much that you're taking them apart and seeing how they work and why they work the way they do. This is more of a story of... yeah, it's, It's more of a story of not so much what it takes to overcome evil but it's more of a story of Ah, uh, final crisis is fucking hard guys <laughs> it's a story about hope at the end of the day though it's a story about hope and it's a story about uh, about like metaphysical analysis of things like the whole phraseology of dark side is 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 a matter of well really what do you think he is and again Yeah, it's fucking weird and it is kind of deep and at times Grant Morrison gets a little too much up his own ass about the shit, but it's still very entertaining. But anyway guys, so let's kind of shift gears from the little bit we get from BBS uh, and let's talk a little bit about the origins of Darkseid and how this being came to be. Uh, So again, Darkseid uh, and all the new guys, they're actually born in the aftermath of a giant war That was waged between uh, the old gods and the old gods were like the old pantheon of gods, you know, like ones that that exist from mythology that we're all probably more familiar with. And with that, uh, with this giant war that happened that broke out between the old gods, it it left their realms or or their planet just like complete ruin. But in the debris and in the aftermath of the old gods war eventually birthed the new gods. And in that aftermath also birthed two new planets uh, from the remains of, of the old God's realm birth, uh, new Genesis and planet apocalypse. And Jack Kirby was very heavy handed with this approach here because new Genesis is almost this idyllic paradise and apocalypse is this hellish demonic realm. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very uh, very straightforward, very straight to the point from that regard. Uh, but in that, you have uh, the High Father who was the, the ruler of New Genesis and essentially like a New Genesis, man, it's like everybody had things figured out. Like, uh, so it's, it's, it's like the, the perfect, perfect utopian society. And then you look at uh, Planet Apocalypse and it's nothing but suffering and misery and, you know, <laughs> like just this... It's just not a good place to be. Uh, but to get to the point here uh, pretty quickly, at least, is that you have uh, you have Prince Yusix and then you have uh, Prince Drax. Not to be confused with Drax the Destroyer. This is a different Drax. Uh, Drax and Ysiks were brothers. Drax was first in line to uh, become ruler of, uh, of Planet Apocalypse, and of course, in the events of Drax's untimely death, that of course would mean that Prince Eusis would become uh, the the ruler. But what we have here is that there's also a difference of ideals between Drax and Eusis. Spoiler alert: I didn't. We don't really get to know that much about Drax because I mean he gets murdered. But what what we get what we do know about Drax is that his idea for apocalypse was really changed things he wanted to change the viewpoint of apocalypse he wanted to to kind of change like the, the perception that this place would always be a place of evil and and hell and torture and he kind of wanted to change that he wanted to make apocalypse maybe a place that could be at some point maybe comparable to new genesis uh you know he didn't want to just rule tyrannically It seemed maybe he wanted to do things a little bit differently now, my interpretation of what Drax wanted could be wrong, but based off of the little we get from him, that's kind of what I took from it. But, obviously, Prince U6, uh that is U-X-A-S, is how you uh, spell that name, Uxix uh, had a different idea in mind. But when it came time for like the coronation of sorts, for Drax to become the ruler of New Genesis, he donned this suit. Uh, this suit that would protect him from exposure to something called the Omega Effect now the Omega Effect is like this, this kind of strange cosmic energy that will bestow the like the user of it great immense power, uh, but you need this protective suit on to to be safe from it. And even for a new guy, now these the new guys at base level have extraordinary power, ridiculous power. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, but what happens here is that before. Drax can be exposed to the Omega effect you never guess what happens he's killed (laughs) he's killed by his brother Uh, he stages a coup and Yuxis he himself had a protective suit and he enters the Omega effect and when he emerges he is the stone faced golem that we now know and love the cuddly dark side dark side is now after this he does continue to uh, uh to want to rage war against high, uh, or against uh, the high father in New Genesis, and he wants to he w- he wants to do this until one of them is destroyed, until one of them falls. Um, now, essentially, uh, Planet Apocalypse and uh, uh, Planet New Genesis they uh, they do come to terms of quote unquote peace, but I mean really. I mean, it's, it's only peace on paper. Sure, the, the war does temporarily stop, but at no point does Dark side ever stop thinking about the war and how to win this war. But what the, pre- uh, what the peace treaty is, is the High Father, who's the ruler of New Genesis, and Dark Side, who's the ruler of Apocalypse, decide that in order to ensure that none of us break this peace treaty, we will uh, we'll exchange sons. They both had very young very, very young sons at the time, and so they decided we'll exchange sons. Uh, Dark side, you raise my son on your planet, and I, the, the High Father, will raise your son on my planet. And what happened here is that uh, that's exactly what they did. So, uh, actually, two of my favorite characters in the new gods are birthed from this. This is where we get Orion, uh, who is technically the son of Darkseid? He is raised, though, on New Genesis, and we get uh, one of my other favorites, Scott Free, aka Mister Miracle, uh, who was who was born on New Genesis, but he's raised. I use the word "raised" very loosely, by the way. He's raised on uh, on Planet Apocalypse. and uh, when I say raised, I mean is almost immediately when Darkseid received. Uh, Young Scott, he immediately just kind of threw him to Granny Goodness, which is a character that I really want to talk about. But again, this is not the episode for that. Uh, But he essentially throws Young Scott to Granny Goodness, who begins to immediately torture the young kid and to put him in all of these super stressful situations, uh, which is probably putting it lightly. And this is really where Scott develops his, his power or what he would become known for, and that is escaping. Uh, Scott Free which his name I know is very much on the nose uh, but Scott Free aka Mr. Miracle is the world's the universe's even greatest escape artist he's even better than Batman than escaping from situations that is his thing uh, he knows how to escape and uh, he eventually falls in love with and marries Big Barda and then again that's yet another thing that is not meant for this episode I, I swore that this is going to be a shorty I said I was going to keep this one short and sweet I am a fucking liar. But anyway, back to Darkseid here. The main focus is now where things get interesting with Darkseid and how things really tie into like the events of Final Crisis, which I think at its core really is probably one of my more favorite Darkseid stories, which is so fucking weird because Darkseid is barely in it. But I think that's what I love about Final Crisis so much is that Darkseid is his name is like a whisper. His name is like something that you don't dare to speak. His name is like something that sends chills down your spine. He's more... Darkseid, guys, he's more than just an evil person. He's not like your generic villains who are alien and super-powered and want to rule over people because reasons. Darkseid wants to do this because... Dark side is evil incarnate. Literally, dark side is the idea of all that is evil. The new gods are, to an extent, almost metaphysical at points or at times. And again, they do exist outside the realms of the DC multiverse. So, when the original crisis on Infinite Earth happened, that affected all of our heroes. That affected all of the universes, it did not affect Dark Side or any of the new gods because they technically exist outside the realms thereof. Now here's the things get interesting about Dark Side is that we've seen I mean hell, if you if you guys grew up, you know, like in my generation, if you're around my age, like, you know, early thirties or so, then you've probably grown up watching the uh, the, the animated show Which I thought was great. Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Uh, The plethora of DC animated movies. Or maybe you've read some of the comics. And you've probably seen so many different versions of Darkseid. You've probably seen uh, so many different interpretations of him. And what he can do. But what's interesting is that. Even though technically, yeah. We have seen different versions of Darkseid. There's still only one dark side because dark side is dark side even though there, there is technically different versions of dark side throughout the multiverse there's a dark side for earth 1 there's dark side for earth 2 all the way up through 52 and whatnot, and so on what's interesting is that all those dark sides are just avatars being controlled by the real dark side. The real dark side, his real person. his real visage is not something that's even tangible or understandable for human nature. He exists beyond that. He is in a dimension that is beyond our comprehension. So when Jack Kirby created new gods, he really meant he's fucking creating new gods. So when you think that Superman is doing a great job holding off Darkseid or if you have the silly notion that Thanos could could battle Darkseid and that, you know, with a fully loaded gauntlet, maybe Thanos could win. No. <laughs> For so many reasons, no. Darkseid. He exists in a realm beyond that, and he, he just sends down avatars. That's all those things are. They're just his avatars. It was just fucking wild, by the way. That shit is wild. It's mind-blowing. But I'm going to talk a little bit about Final Crisis, and then I'm going to talk about the power set of Darkseid, and then I'm going to wrap things up here by uh, discussing what I hope and expect to see from the Snyder Cut. And uh, then, if I remember, to, how I finally explain Darkseid is... Some of you probably already get it by now. It's not that complicated. But anyways, uh, the reason I want to talk about Final Crisis here is, again, just because from a storytelling standpoint, there are some similarities between Grant Morrison's work on Final Crisis and kind of the overarching feel that I get from Zack Snyder's work in the DCEU. And that is just playing the long game and holding back some of your chess pieces and playing it slowly. Now, Final Crisis, like I said, uh, has another similarity to um, Snyder's work in the DCEU in which it can be uh, definitely heavy-handed and it can also be a little frustrating at times. But the good of it is really fucking good. What happens here uh, during Final Crisis, as I mentioned earlier, was that Darkseid is able to obtain the anti-life equation and he rages war against uh, new Genesis. And it is a great bloody war, probably more so than what Darkseid thought it would be. And as it was always foretold from the beginning from Jack Kirby's own hand, his from his own pen, uh, it has always been foretold that the final battle will be Darkseid versus his true son, Orion and Orion and Darkseid, these two are battling it out, uh, and they're in this realm where uh, where Planet Apocalypse and New Genesis reside. They are out there battling it in, and what happens is that it, it looks like Darkside is is maybe on the losing end of things. Orion has the upper hand here in this long, drawn out fought battle, but then Orion is hit with a bullet like a sniper's bullet that seemingly comes from nowhere. And when Orion is hit with that bullet, he falls and he falls and he plummets to earth. And this is where our heroes find him. I believe it's the lanterns that find him, John Stewart and Hal Jordan. Or no, it's John Stewart at first because Hal Jordan is actually framed for the murder of Orion, but Orion is dead. And, uh, John Stewart and I believe Batman are able to recover the bullet. And now, what's interesting about this bullet that killed Orion is a few things. One, these new gods are nigh-immortal. Well, no, they're nigh-invulnerable, but they are immortal. So what the fuck killed Orion? What was in that bullet? It was something called Radion, and Radion is the only thing that can kill a new God. It's kind of like this cosmic radiation that was encapsulated. And boy, the way that Batman explains it, or at least I should say the way that Grant Morrison writes it out is very deep, very complex. I'm not going to lie guys hard to wrap your brain around, at least for me. Like I'm not that smart. So you guys will probably get it a lot quicker than I can. But Batman is the way he explains is like this, this bullet is like essentially the idea for all bullets to come, but it it's the father of bullets. This thing is, it is like the first, it is the blueprint. And he's like, this thing is, he, he goes down and like explains like a bunch of famous people who have been uh, assassinated by bullets like JFK, Martin Luther King, John Lennon, like all of these people who have been assassinated, like this is the bullet or at least in a, an idea of it. This Radeon that killed Orion. It's also interesting in the aspect that. When it was dug up by John Stewart. And you know examined upon by Stewart and Batman. They found out that. This bullet had been in the earth for 50 fucking years. How could it have been in the earth for 50 years? That means. That means like one of two or three possibilities. Like either A. Uh, Orion was killed 50 years ago which is unlikely because you knew when Orion fell (laughs) like it was immediately known and heard and seen when this guy plummeted from the sky and fell into the earth so that's not possible that Orion was killed 50 years ago and they just now found his body option B well With Ocean B, maybe, uh, maybe Orion didn't, um, maybe he wasn't killed 50 years ago, but, uh, maybe there was another bullet, right? So there just happens to be another radion bullet (laughs) that, that landed in that exact spot 50 years ago. But the one that killed Orion is somewhere else. And Batman was also like, nah, that doesn't make any fucking sense. That can't be it. So option A and B are off the list. Orion wasn't killed 50 years ago and the radion bullet they found isn't just some other random radion bullet. These things don't grow on trees. So that only leaves option C for how Orion was killed and how that bullet is 50 years old. It's a time traveling bullet. When Orion was killed that bullet came from another time period and when it hit Orion it kept traveling until it Met enough, uh, I guess, yeah, it kept traveling until finally, like, it hit like that, that point where it no longer had momentum and it stopped 50 years uh, in the past, which is crazy. I mean, it was when I get to that part in the story, guys, it, it was kind of like a mind blowing thing. Now, why is all this important? This radion bullet and this time traveling bullet at that. Well, one, I thought it was a pretty cool storytelling mechanic and two it creates this mystery of where did this bullet come from well it came from dark side dark side from another time period pulled the trigger to save his own self and to kill his son but what's also interesting is that during the initial battle with dark side and orion was that it wasn't just the fact that orion failed because he died but also Darkseid himself was critically wounded, mortally wounded, even. And when Darkseid fell, he fell on top of the multiverse. I know that sounds like some kooky fucking shit, but try to understand it like this, guys. Darkseid, again, exists outside the realms of the multiverse. He is in a dimension that we cannot comprehend. Like, he's a shape that doesn't make any sense to us. He he would be like putting in a, a 3D object into a Super Mario Brothers video game, into like a Pac-Man video game. Pac-Man wouldn't know what the fuck to do if he just threw like a, a, a true three-dimensional object into that classic arcade game. What does Mario do if you throw like a, an actual cube-shaped shape, object into his world? That shit would wreck him. He wouldn't know what to do with that. It would be incomprehensible to him. And that's kind of what Darkseid is to us. He exists in a dimension higher than ours. And so when he fell, that caused a a gigantic hole in the multiverse. And throughout Grant Morrison's writing, it's done very cleverly. Uh, I actually just finished reading Grant Morrison's run on Batman, so this is actually very timely as well. What's also interesting is that Grant Morrison wrote Batman simultaneously to the time that he was writing Final Crisis. So it was kind of like a back and forth thing for him. And so he made sure that everything tied together the way that it should. And now what's interesting is that he uses certain villains and phraseology to emphasize the fact that the hole in things is a phrase that Grant Morrison uses a lot during this time frame. The hole in things. The hole in things is referring to the hole that Darkseid left and the multiverse. When he fell, the hole in things is reference to what dark side is. Dark side is evil. So maybe that's why dark side is immortal. Why he's unkillable? Because how do you kill what evil is? Dark side is. Anyways, uh. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything more about Final Crisis because shit gets very trippy. I'm talking uh, about four-dimensional vampires named Mandrake. I'm talking about uh, the Omega Beams versus Batman and a gun. (laughs) You know, I'm talking about uh, the idea of hope uh, literally being what uh, could potentially bring down uh, the big bad. Uh, There's so much going on in Final Crisis that I don't want to ruin here, but... Now let's talk a little bit about the power set of Darkseid. Now that i talked a little bit about the uh, pseudo-philosophical aspects of what this being is. Darkseid, from what we've seen, of course she has the ability to, to travel through space and time. Of course she has the, uh, the, the physical capabilities to go toe-to-toe with Superman. Of course she has the Omega effect, uh, which of course grants him the Omega beams. Which he can use to do a plethora of things. I mean if we're being honest here. The Omega Beams essentially can do. Whatever the hell Dark Side wants them to do. If he wants them to disintegrate you they can. If he wants them to, to teleport you somewhere they can. Or to send you back in time. They can. Hell he can use the Omega Beams to bring you back to life. If he so chooses to. Uh, the Omega Beams are kind of like the end all be all. Weapon for Darkseid. Or for anyone at that matter. Uh, but. Uh he also has like the ability to uh he has like uh I already mentioned he has immortality, like he's damn near invulnerable. Uh the the speed of Dark Side is deceptive. When you think about how fast like Superman Superman in the Flash can move and then you consider the fact that oh shit, Dark Side can move just as fast if he so chooses to. He just doesn't look it. Uh, you know understandable I mean again he looks like a fucking evil stone golem but hey uh, so Dark Side's power set uh, it, it isn't like some kind of kooky crazy stuff but it is on such an immeasurable level like if Darkseid so chose to he could, he could take you and teleport you to another realm of existence if you wanted to and I mean hell let's say that you did actually manage to best the avatar of Darkseid You could just send another one. Or if you somehow make it to where Darkseid's true presence, where his actual entity really exists, well, you're in his realm, which puts you at an automatic disadvantage. And also, I don't think that he's killable. The shit really isn't fair. It really isn't fair. This is something that DC Comics doesn't play with a lot, and I'm grateful for it. I don't want them to forget what Darkseid really is, but I do don't want them to overuse it either uh, we've seen what happens when villains or when uh, certain characters are overly used or when they're used improperly hell when certain characters use too much they are used improperly I mean we've seen it happen with everyone but anyways um yeah so so dark side has a, a strong plethora of abilities guys I mean and again with the Omega beams it's also important to note that one of the coolest aspects of these things is that they kind of bend to the will of dark side, which is very ironic <laughs> bending to the will of dark side. Um, so really quick here also, before we uh, kind of wrap these things up here, I said, I was going to keep this under an hour. That was my goal. I'm going to try to keep to that, but let's talk about the anti-life equation because I referenced to, uh, re- I referenced that earlier. For those of you who aren't familiar uh, with the anti-life equation, uh, just briefly what it is is the anti-life equations this idea or this mathematical process of which dark side believes exists because there, there also exists the life equation which gives people life and free will and with dark sides thinking well if that exists then there must be the antithesis to that the anti-life equation and the reason why Darkseid wants this anti-life equation is because if he can get this, he can use it to rule over all of, uh, all of existence, all of humanity. He can use it to take away the free will of people. And if you can take away your free will, then Dark Side owns you and because Darkseid is, uh, so that is essentially the, uh, the anti-life equation. Grant Morrison actually wrote out the formula <laughs> for anti-life. It's this crazy thing. Um, hell, uh, I'd, I'd have to look back and find a crisis again to, to read it. And in fact, I might be able to grab it here. Oh shit. This book is heavy. This is the benefit, uh, to podcasting right next to like, you know, your, your comic book library. Um, Oh, yeah, so it's it's the M or the E equals uh, MC square of despair. It even rhymes. Uh, yeah, I'm not reading all that. It's it's just a long-ass equation, guys. <laughs> Holy shit, this book is heavy. You know, uh, if the gems are for close down again, I think I'm going to use some of these goddamn Omnis and just start lifting these uh, because shit. Uh, But anyways, uh, the Anti-Life Equation. And also, guys, if I were to read out the Anti-Life Equation on this podcast, I mean, listen, I don't want to have dominion over all of you. I feel like that's, you know, I I want you guys to keep your free will uh, unless you choose to not listen to the podcast, and then in which case I may have to use the Anti-Life Equation on you. (laughs) Joking, of course. But anyways, uh, really quickly, expectations for the Snyder Cut. I think that the Snyder Cut is... Going to appease fans of Zack Snyder, I don't know if it will appease fans uh, or appease those who aren't fans of his work. Uh, I think that if you already have an appreciation for Man of Steel and BVS, then I think that the, the Snyder Cut is going to be a fantastic addition. I think it's going to be the grandest and the boldest. But at that same time, if you did not enjoy any version of Man of Steel or BVS, then I don't think that Schneider Cut is going to be for you. I don't. I think that the Snyder Cut is for the fans of uh, Zack Snyder. I think it's going to be a love letter to uh, his, his uh, sadly, DC starter who he lost uh, a few years ago during the making of Justice League. Uh, I think it's going to be a love letter also to, also to the fans who stuck by him. Um. I don't think that he's going to try to sway over those who maybe weren't impressed with his previous works. I think he's going to try to stick true to his guns and uh, and give us something that is going to be epic in scale and a a visual feast and spectacle. I love the visual look of Zach's work. I mean, you know. <laughs> God, I didn't want to go here, but I'll go here really quickly. Uh, So you guys know how I feel about Thor Ragnarok. I think it's sorely overrated. Uh, But I've been seeing this one mingo around that is showing like four still images of Ragnarok. And it's just kind of talking about how epic the movie is. And I'm like, if you just look at those four images, yeah, the movie looks fucking epic. Uh, But those same people, a lot of which don't like Zack Snyder's work. And I'm like, you could take fucking a dozen still images from any of his movies and make them all look epic like (laughs) what I'm getting at here is that Zach has such an eye for theatrics and for cinematography like the actual framing of his work looks amazing Like, like it really does um and I've just been a really big fan of like the aesthetic of his movies especially his superhero movies man like I don't know, whereas a lot of people don't particularly like uh, Watchmen or Man of Steel or BVS. Like, I'm actually here for those movies. Um, I, I, I view them as a uh, visual feast, and I think that there's actually a, a lot of uh, substance to be had behind them. And again, I get it. Definitely not for everybody. And I'm not trying to win you anyone over, because um, I get it. I do. But I will say this uh, I think that the Schneider Cut will surprise people in a good way. Uh, for those who are maybe naysayers, I think it will surprise them that it's going to be better than what they were thinking. I think that a lot of people have already uh, written the Schneider Cut off. And again, Zach didn't make the movie for those people. So fuck them. <laughs> uh, I think that. Yeah, I, I think that I personally am really going to enjoy this movie. Uh, things that I want to see changed in this movie uh, I want to see. I want to see a more focused Barry Allen. Uh, you know, I want Ezra Miller's interpretation of Barry to have more focus. And calm the fuck down and grow some balls. Be the Flash. Don't don't say that you just run around pushing people. Don't talk about how scared you are of stepping well for the parademons. Don't don't do any of that. Come on, man. Um. So that's definitely one thing I want to see changed. Uh, I want Batman to not just be a, uh, a comedic rag doll in this movie. Uh, I, I want Batman to be the goddamn Batman. I don't think that's too much to ask for. And I think that Zach is going to deliver in that aspect as well. um, yeah, I think that Batman in this one's actually going to prove to be actually formidable <laughs> against the Parademons. Uh, I mean, also, gosh, the War Machine is going to be in this uh, movie. Uh, the War Machine, not to be confused with uh, War Machine from Iron Man. <laughs> uh, the War Machine is the name of his tank that he uses in the uh, in the Dark Knight uh, Returns by Frank Miller. That's, I believe, the, the technical name for that version of the Batmobile. Um, which I am also excited to see that. I never thought in a million years, honestly, it didn't even cross my mind that we would potentially see the War Machine in a movie. That is awesome. Uh, It would be nice to see uh, Aquaman, you know, use aquatic powers in this one. And and again, from the trailers, we see that he does. Uh, Because in the original Justice League movie, he didn't the motherfucker like spent maybe two seconds in water and that was it. (laughs) Didn't use any of his aquatic abilities. Really. It was just kind of like the, the standard gambit of, of, uh, generic superpowers is what he used. Uh, I think that Wonder Woman will continue to stand like front and center to be bold and to be badass, uh, which I hope so, man. Um, Wonder Woman is such a layered character, man. I've been reading a lot more of her stuff over of her comics recently. And I just really appreciate that character, man. She she she's got some awesome stuff. Uh, Superman arguably needs like the most work in this movie. Uh if I could be completely honest, don't don't fucking kill me for this, guys, but I didn't ha- I didn't hate the version of Superman in Justice League. Like, I didn't think it was god fucking awful. I mean, of course, besides like the aesthetics, like like the CG mustache removal shit. Yeah, that was awful. I'm not defending that shit at all. But I'm talking about the way that Superman behaved. Uh, you know, where people who who don't like Man of Steel argue that uh, that he didn't behave like like Clark. Kent or Clark Kent is a facade. I don't know how to bring that to you guys, uh, but you know, or, or the fact that there was so much destruction, or that he was gloomy. He was a fucking alien who didn't know his existence. I don't know what you guys want from Superman. I mean, you want him to just have this shit figured out from day one. Uh, I'm I'm ranting now. I shouldn't I shouldn't rant at all. But the version of Superman that was in the 2017 Justice League movie, uh, if there was one major flaw was that he just kind of got along with this shit way too quickly and the advantage of having a four four hour cut is that we get more time to spend with Superman and to see kind of how things progress with him. Uh, We're going to see the black suit Superman which is a great callback to the comics. This movie is going to be full of fucking easter eggs. I'm going to need a notepad just to try to keep track of all the different easter eggs in this movie. Um, But I think that Having Superman be kind of that beacon of hope again is going to be key for this movie and for this interpretation of Superman. Uh, I thought that it was uh, very pivotal in Man of Steel that we get a Superman who is unsure of himself and his role in society and who he is. Uh, I actually really like that. That was honestly the first time that Superman ever resonated with me, wasn't Man of Steel. Before that, I was just like, yeah, he's a guy who's sometimes cool with a gamut of powers. But now I actually can kind of understand where he's coming from, and relate even. But yeah, so Superman he's he's gonna need some work as well for sure. Uh, Cyborg, give him fucking screen time. <laughs> Let's start there, <laughs> and uh, see what you can do about that CG on on uh, Cyborg too. Yeah, we got we got to smooth that shit out some. Steppenwolf, we know has a new design. Thank goodness. Uh, apparently. The original concept design for Steppenwolf wasn't used in the 2017 movie because uh, the big wigs at Warner Brothers said it would be too scary for kids. Fuck them kids. Movies for us. Fuck them. <laughs> and uh, let's see. And as far as Darkseid goes, well, I mean, he's in the movie, which is a huge step forward. You know, he wasn't even in the in the original. Um there's also like the nightmare scene as well that we get to to look forward to as well. Um, we visit like the nightmare vision just briefly in uh B V S and also there's the scene when Bruce wakes up from the nightmare and, and then he he has like another mini vision of uh, of Barry uh and like a, a time warp of sorts trying to reach out to Bruce and he gives like this vague message that we never knew what it meant and then You know, WB, like, they were dumb enough to cut all of that from the 2017 Justice League movie. Uh, So, you know, you know what really grinds my gears also is that uh, a few weeks ago, a WB exec, don't ask me the name, I don't care to know any of their names, but a WB exec came out and said, yeah, we all knew that the 2017 Justice League movie was garbage. I'm like, fuck you, fuck you. If you knew that movie was garbage, you would have never fucking put it out in the first place. If you knew that movie was garbage, you would have never, you would, you would never even tried to to get Zack Snyder out of that position. You would have never just let the man walk away. If that's what happened, if you really thought that movie was garbage, you wouldn't spend fucking what six hundred or, or two hundred million dollars making a movie that you thought would be a bust. You're full of shit. These execs they bend and move with, uh, with the with the time. They wait and see how people look and react to things and then they jump on that trend as well. Fuck those execs, man. That that's some that's some shady shit. Of course, the twenty seventeen Justice League movie, yeah, it is garbage. But you didn't think that. You're only saying that now to save face. It's just some shady shit, man. Gosh. But anyways, um, the man himself though, Dark Side, who this episode is is always kind of roughly loosely been about. <laughs> uh he needs to kick ass, man. I don't know what else to say. Like he needs to kick all the ass. He's he's gotta he's gotta come down. He's gotta deliver badass one liners. He's gotta say them in the most intimidating voice ever, which by the way, I love the way that his voice sounds. I don't know who his voice actor is or what the ADR process was for making his voice sound that way, but it sounds great. Um, I was hoping they'd get Tony Todd to do the voice again. Tony Todd, uh, the guy who played uh, Candyman in the original Candyman uh, movies, uh, he voiced uh, Dark Side in some of the animated pro- uh, projects, and he did a great job there. But yeah, Dark Side. Um, yeah, he, he's he's he got to be awesome man I mean there's nothing more to really say about that but he also has to have a purpose as well so like what's his purpose for coming to Earth uh, this may be something that they explored in the 2017 Justice League movie I don't really remember uh, I mean it had to have been something that Steppenwolf wanted right uh, shit I forget it was something on Themyscira was it Shit, I don't, I don't remember Uh <laughs> But, you know, if it's uh, like a piece of the anti-life equation, that'd be awesome. If it's something else, I mean, but it's, it's got to be a purpose. Don't get me wrong. I love the rule of cool, but the rule of cool only subsides for so long. We're going to need actual substance as well. Guys, I don't think I'm going to make uh, my, my goal of keeping this episode under an hour. God damn it. But, you know, I tried. I tried. As far as Easter eggs go... Things I would like to see. I want to see more. uh, Joe Maganello as uh, Deathstroke. I think I just butchered that man's last name. He has a complicated last name. (laughs) But he looked awesome as Deathstroke though. Uh, I want to see Jared Leto's Joker. I want to see if. With whatever screen time he's given. If it's able to at least some degree. Redeem his performance. Or lack thereof. And. Suicide Squad. I want. Did I already say I want to see Green Lanterns? I didn't say that yet. Yeah, I definitely want to see actual Green Lanterns, um, instead of the one super deep cut Green Lantern we had in the uh in the uh, uh waiting cut and the Justice League as they call it. So yeah, seeing uh, Green Lanterns would be amazing as well. You know, I'm talking about recognizable Green Lanterns. It doesn't have to be John Stewart or Hal Jordan or Kyle Rayner, but I mean, you could you could throw in like you know, uh, Guy Gardner or uh, hell, I mean, th- th- there's a, there's a plethora that you could throw in there. Tomar Ray would be awesome. Kilowog, I mean, there's there's a, a ton of kind of a second tier but very notable Green Lanterns you could throw in this movie. I would also want to see here. Yeah, um, I guess I just want to see what Zach's vision looks like, ultimately. This is something that's unprecedented. This is something that we all never thought we'd get the opportunity to see, but yet here we are. So it's awesome. It's awesome. And uh, again, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm here for it. So lastly, but not least, uh, but uh, not least. Let me put this goddamn giant ass final crisis away. First of all, this shit is making my leg numb. There we go. There we go. So I didn't forget to discuss dark side is Uh Dark side is is a phraseology that is used repeatedly throughout DC comics. And I love the reverence. Is that the right word for this for Dark side, the reverence or the irreverence that is put on his name. Uh, the fact that it is spoken with a, a kind of feared respect of sorts. Not like everyone who says his name adheres to him or worships him, but they understand the gravity that comes along with that name, Darkseid. Darkseid is the boogeyman. I mean, he is the big bad villain. He he is the guy in DC Comics. I mean, he is he is literally evil incarnate. You know how other properties or like other mediums of entertainment referred to someone being evil incarnate, like Michael Myers is evil incarnate. Uh, I was reading a uh, preacher earlier, a fantastic book, by the way, uh, I was reading preacher by Garth Ennis a little earlier. And uh, he referenced a, a villain in his book as evil incarnate. And, you know, you, you see a lot of people use that phraseology to refer to somebody that usually what they mean when they say evil incarnate is that person embodies a lot of the qualities that I associate with being just plain mean and evil that's what they mean when they say that somebody is evil incarnate but dark side is arguably literally evil incarnate dark side is the personification of evil this is something I didn't notice until my second reading of Final Crisis was that when Orion fell, Orion represented like kind of not so much the hope, but the will to fight when Orion fell. This was never explicitly stated in the story, but it was noticeable for my second reading, but the heroes, they started to fade. The heroes started to lose. Whereas we're normally used to seeing our heroes win these fights and these combats they started to lose one by one. They started to fall apart, and it's fascinating because just of what Orion represents. What Dark Side represents, though, is entropy. Dark Side represents death. Dark Side represents all that is feared and all that, uh, yeah, uh, all that you're afraid to to confront. Dark Side represents evil. So he is the literal. Uh, Thoughts of evil incarnate. Dark side is. So I've always really loved that phraseology because uh, not to, uh, I guess, not to uh, upset any uh, uh, Christian listeners out there or any people of religious beliefs because there are a lot of. Uh, religious gestures in DC Comics, uh, especially concerning Dark Side or the New Gods in general. I mean, hell, again, even Apocalypse is tailored to be this hellish place, whereas New Genesis was supposed to be this angelic paradise. But uh, so, I, yeah, I guess just uh, just take note. I'm, I'm definitely not trying to offend anyone here with uh, with the verbiage that's being used in reference to Dark Side here, but dark side is 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 very comparable to i am of the old testament or interpreted as yahweh uh, for those of you who are uh, you know religious in nature you guys are familiar with the, the story of the old testament of uh the, the burning bush and moses speaking to it and not being able to really ascertain its form but the fire wasn't cons- wasn't consuming the bush and the voice came from the bush And Moses said, "Who shall I tell them sent me?" And it was something along the lines of, "Tell them I am that I am," or "The great I am sent you." And then I I think if you interpret that directly to like the Hebrew roots, the the translation is Yahweh, or yeah. So there's that. It's very similar to Dark Side is, "Tell them that I am." Tell them that Dark Side is. Um. Clearly, you know, kind of a uh, kind of different in terms of uh, you know, uh, <laughs> good and evil, of course. But it's just interesting how much thought was put into uh, Dark Side and just the the build up, the anticipation of the the coming of Dark Side. These were all things that were uh, very well thought out and very well played. You know, when I was uh, preparing tonight's episode like i was i was torn i was like i need to use i need to use some kind of justice league material some kind of justice league comic uh as a reference point and i was like I, which one do i use though i was i was gonna use like the new 52 version of dark side from like uh, the, the the dark side uh, war saga um i was thinking about using that one because it was, was a really fun read but then I was like, that version of Dark Side, while he's fun, he's not really deep. It's kind of a shallow interpretation of what Dark Side usually is. And I guess that can be said for several people in the new 52. And I was like, well, what about Final Crisis? And then I was originally afraid to do Final Crisis because, if I'm being completely honest, homies, I don't know if I'll ever be willing to cover Final Crisis in its entirety on this podcast. <laughs> Because it's it's a lot, man. It's a fucking lot. Uh, I don't just mean a lot in terms of page count, but I mean a lot in terms of of meaning or interpretations. Uh, it's, it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> uh, but if you guys want it, then for sure, it'll happen. But uh, if if not, then I won't really rush the process on that one. But I think that is all I have for this one, guys. I uh, kept it about, at about a, an hour and ten. That's about as good as it's going to get in terms of me trying to keep shit uh, short. Uh, thank goodness I did not try to do the entirety of the new guys tonight. I had the fucking notes ready, but I was like, maybe not tonight. Maybe some other time. Uh, but that will be all for now, guys. Uh, I hope that this little hype piece got you guys ready for Dark Side. I hope that you guys are ready to see what Prince u does, uh, how much ass he kicks, what cameos or easter eggs we're going to see with the Snyder Cut. And hopefully throughout this movie we will be able to see with a certainty that dark side is that's off now homies but until next time my name is superhero homie Q signing off